When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode of the Bird Shop Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt and Final Rise. On this episode of the show, we are talking turkeys with Levi Glines. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 172. All right, welcome to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We are going to be talking turkey hunting on this episode of the show. We mix in plenty of upland conversation with our guest today, Levi Glein. So fear not if you're not a turkey hunter. I don't know if I can quite call myself one yet, but I sure have enjoyed the experiences I've had so far, and I am eagerly awaiting my first turkey hunt of the 2022 season. We'll be getting to that shortly. But first, thank you to all of my Patreon patrons. Thank you very much for your continued support of the Birdshot Podcast. As always, I appreciate it. Got a handful of envelopes sitting on the workbench here to my right. Birdshot Podcast can coolers and stickers. Little gift packages going out to new Patreon patrons. Starting at 5 bucks a month, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. I'll send you a little gift pack of the Birdshot Podcast can coolers and stickers. And you will be eligible for any and all monthly Patreon giveaways, which this month happens to include Onyx Elite subscription card or a pair of medium Final Rise field gloves. I will check in with upcoming winners of the Patreon monthly giveaway to see if that is something they're interested in. Otherwise, we're always working on some great new stuff for our Patreon supporters. So thank you once again to all of you. I appreciate it. And I thought I would mention this week a little partnership between two of the partners on the Birdshot podcast, Onyx Hunt, of course, and Upland Institute, the video dog training series from Ron Bame and Justin McGrail. They 
are currently running a partnership for Onyx Elite subscribers. So if you are an Onyx Elite subscriber or perhaps you are a past winner of one of those Onyx Elite cards that we've given away here on the Birdshot Podcast, Elite members get a free look at the course. There will be some exclusive content mixed in there in the future and you also get 15% off the purchase of the complete series. So if you've heard me talk about the Upland Institute videos, heard my interview with Justin McGrail a while back or any of the number of them that have been done on the Hunting Dog Podcast, Upland Institute, if you are looking for more information on training and developing bird dogs, you want to check out your Onyx Elite member benefits to access that exclusive content and deal. All right, I got a little correction slash revision to a previous episode of the Birdshot podcast to throw in here. I got a text from a listener this morning about my conversation a couple of weeks back, episode number 168 on Southeastern Grasslands with Jeremy French. If you listen to that episode, you maybe picked up on a little piece of that conversation where we were talking all the Leopold and Jeremy had brought up the sumac plant, shrub, bush, whatever you want to call it. And I had interjected at that point that I recalled reading in Aldo Leopold how the sumac was this thing that he described as the red lantern and associated with grouse hunting and following and going from one red lantern to the next in pursuit of rough grouse. And for whatever reason, that always stuck with me. I have no idea how sumac got connected to that little tidbit in my mind, but it was definitely firmly implanted there. And thank you to the listener that texted me this morning that He actually was referring to the blackberry plant, not sumac. So again, I'll have to go back and reread a Sand County Almanac, wherever that was, to figure out how I pulled sumac out of there. Maybe I just made it up. But I'm kind of happy because, as I mentioned to the listener that texted me this morning, being that Aldo Leopold was referring to blackberry, that actually makes a lot more sense because I do tend to jump from one blackberry patch to the next a lot more so than sumac when I'm out pursuing rough grouse so if you heard our conversation and you picked up on that little tidbit hopefully you're hearing this too you're not out there looking for sumac this year when you should be looking for blackberry i'm quite certain that is not the first time i have misspoke on this podcast but in this case a big thank you goes out to our astute listeners sending me that correction which i am now passing on to you so if that is one more reason for you to go check out a sand county almanac by aldo leopold i will consider that a win and you should definitely do so as I certainly should go back and reread it because it is absolutely worth a reread over and over again. All right, let's get going. My uh, turkey hunting plans have been foiled once again for this upcoming weekend, looking like lots of rain. And my buddy and I that I've been planning the camp with have very busy schedules and we're having a hard time getting it figured out. But I will be out there one way or another in the next few weeks. I think we still got plenty of good turkey hunting left just based on the weather and conditions up to this point. Nonetheless, I am still very excited about the upcoming turkey hunting season and with that in mind, I wanted to connect with Levi Glines, our guest today. He is a he was a friend of a friend, our mutual buddy Garrett who comes up on this podcast numerous times and is a former guest of the show going way back to episode five, I think off the top of my head, probably uh, long overdue to get Garrett back on the show, but he and Levi are buddies. And so I'd heard a lot about their turkey hunting adventures over the years. And we were all lucky enough to make our early season prairie hunting trip last September 
out west. The three of us went out together and spent a few days chasing sharptails out on the prairie. And that was the first time I got a chance to hunt with Levi. Had a blast. So we talked a little bit about that on today's show. But Levi has a lot of experience turkey hunting. It's one of his favorite things to do. And I thought it would be a cool opportunity to mix in a little upland hunting conversation, but then really lean on Levi's experience in turkey hunting and going over some of the basics and answering some of the questions that I have when it comes to turkey hunting and potentially getting back out there some on my own this year. And also if Garrett and I can find a way to match up our calendars and get our little turkey camp weekend scheduled eventually. So that's what we got. I hope you don't mind a little turkey hunting conversation on the Birdshot podcast. If you have any thoughts or feedback, please feel free to share that with me always. Nick at birdshotpodcast.com. Please leave a rating and or a review of the show if you can in your podcast app, wherever you're listening. Subscribe to the show, follow the show, share an episode. Always appreciate that. Love to hear from the listeners. And with that said, let's welcome into the conversation and on to the Birdshot Podcast, Levi Glines. Levi, what's up, man? What you been up to lately? How's it going, Nick? Uh, just gearing up for spring turkey hunting right now, I think, is what's been you know, on my mind lately, but this weather that we're having, it's not, not been great. I'll be honest. Yeah. I think the, the listeners might be tired of me sort of lamenting about spring weather or lack thereof up here in the North country. It, it's, it's definitely getting old this year. I will say that I'm right there with you. I got to ask with this rain that we're having down in the city. So I'm in Minnesota, uh, Northwest suburbs. Are you getting snow right now with this rain that we're having? I have seen snowflakes in the air today, but at the moment I'm looking out at raindrops. So we're in the clear right. there. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> good to hear. This is ridiculous, man. I mean, we've, the last the last couple of years, I would say we've been on the early side of things as far as, it's all about, it's all about when the snow is gone for me. Right. Cause then, yep. and, and I imagine the same for you, that's when you can kind of get back in the spring woods and it's a cool place to be. And whether you're running dogs on wild birds or scouting for turkeys or something like that, but we're, we still have snow and like we've had, I mean, we we've had patches of open ground to full blanket of snow, like off and on like five or six times in the last month. It's just crazy. <laughs> I know. That's crazy. Yeah. For, you talk about the snow going away and that's for me, like that kind of signals spring turkey yep. for me. Cause one of the things that I love to do and we can touch on this more as we go, but for me, I love getting out before the season starts and I kind of call it my, I've started calling it my camera season. So I go out there and I chase them and I try and call in turkeys into you know, what it would be gun range, but it's essentially my camera range, call them into the decoys. And that first, you know, when I see bare ground, it's like, all right, I'm itching to get out there and call some birds. And yeah. I've been out, but it's, it's like up and down, like you have snow and it's clear, it's snow, it's clear. So this year has been definitely interesting. Yeah, no kidding. And you did, you did get some cool photos earlier that are, uh, with with snow involved which yeah we will talk about that we're going to talk a little bit more about turkeys later on in the episode but first you did mention sort of where you're from you're in minnesota you're a little bit south of me but i want to rewind to the last time i saw you we were about a day's drive to the west and it was yep. september and we were we were chasing sharp tails on the prairie man <laughs> that's that seems like a while ago but that's a good memory <laughs> That was my first trip out west for sharp tails. And yeah, I mean, talk about it, it seems like forever ago with all the weather that we've had. But that trip was kind of an eye opener for me on many levels. Just 
one just starting with like dog power i i have one dog right now and she is a deutsch drahar and with the temperatures we had it was i don't know it was probably somewhat normal for the time that we were out there but they were hotter and i feel like she definitely being a darker all liver drahar she struggled with the heat out there yeah but that trip i mean how do you not love going out west and chasing sharp tails and kick off the season like that you know you're you're ready to, to to get into the upland hunting and that that's a great way to kick off the year in august like we did so yeah yeah that was a blast i i think you know i've as i've alluded to many times i've that was my i think it was my fourth trip out there fourth year in a row and so i you know i've only been going out there for a handful of years or so and i don't think the weather we had as you suggested, I don't think it was abnormal. It, it definitely was on the warmer side. You know, we, I guess you kind of plan to have a couple of days where it's like you get the morning hunt in and that's that. But as, right. as yep. you mentioned, you know, it's the first trip of the year. Oftentimes the first hunt, I mean, a couple of times I've snuck out for rough grouse opener before that, but yeah, what better place to be than out there? If you're going to be kicked out of the field by heat, you know, might as well be out there. You get a nice morning hopefully with a little bit cooler and the temperature really fluctuates out there you know it's it's quite cool in the mornings and evenings or, yep. or it yep. can be and then obviously it warms up real fast you got no shade cover or anything but yeah it's you get to experience a lot in a handful of days it's pretty fun and i may have misspoke i said august but that would have been september yeah 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 that we were out there but uh, we just we spent the whole month of august looking forward to it and then we got out there <laughs> right, September. right no, that was it was a good hunt, uh, a good introduction. We had some luck out there, but unfortunately, that was a bad hunt for me from from a point of my dog. Um, she ended up getting injured out there yeah. on one of the hunts, and I'm I'm still dealing with that that injury. We've had some issues with her, and we have a a surgery date scheduled. So, and it sounds like it's pretty optimistic that she'll be able to hunt this fall. But unfortunate from that. And yeah, you know, we kind of, you sort of cut your trip. I mean, it was like maybe 12 hours short or whatever you, you left because right. the dog was, Ica was, was hurt. And I've got some details from you and, and from our mutual friend Garrett since then, I don't know how much you, you want to go into it, but what, what ultimately happened and kind of where you at with, with Ica and she's a, she's a draw. How, how old is she? She's five years old. Five years. Um, yeah, definitely. I feel like she's coming really into her own yep. the last couple of years or so but I, it's tough because you're so optimistic going into a season you're like you end the previous season on a very high note right so you're like all right let's pick right up where we were last year we had some training in the fall or early fall getting ready to go out there and she was doing well so what actually happened was i think it was the second day so we got in there we were able to get an, an evening hunt in the next day we went out and I remember her coming towards me and she kind of, it was almost like she stepped in a hole and kind of like stumbled a little bit. And I, I remember seeing, I was like, oh, that was weird. But she kept hunting the rest of the day, like not, she wasn't showing any signs of pain or discomfort during the hunt. But then later I put her up and I went to get, let her out, air her out. And she was limping, which, you know, I've, I've had that happen before. They're right. sore. I didn't really think much of it. But the next morning we got up and I was getting ready to let her out and she was hurting real bad so i brought her when we got back home brought her into the vet and through a couple different 
times being in there, they they found out that it was a very random and something that's not very often that happens, but it was it's called infraspinatus contracture, where there's a a tendon. I might be saying this wrong, but there's a tendon in the front shoulder that essentially ruptured. And there was a period where it seemed like she actually looked like she was fine. She was not limping. She was able to run. And then all of a sudden the scar tissue starts forming and the way that it heals puts her front shoulder in a position where she's not able to run with a normal gait. Hmm. Um, It's almost like her leg was her front right shoulder was splaying out to the side when she runs and I essentially had to shut her down mid-season last year just because she couldn't run. But, yeah. Yeah, and and so now you're moving forward with that, obviously. And, you know, I as you're, as you're sort of telling me that story, I hadn't really connected the dots on this, but it was the year prior to that when I went out there with Hartley. And, again, the listeners will have heard this story, but he, he tore his CCL ligament in his rear leg and it was best we can tell it was a partial tear for like up to up to almost a year prior to but it was the north it was the north dakota trip september of 2020 that he went out there and blew it completely out so his season was ended right on that day and so then we go back out a year later and not quite the Uh, same thing happened to your dog but man we (laughs) that's that's a little bit of a streak we got to shake that (laughs) right no that's not what you want to have going on out there especially as you said right at the beginning of the season you're all you're all excited and yeah fortunately right. for me I had it well I had Rose at the time but she was like barely 3 months old if that so we we definitely made the most of our 2020 season but it was good to have good to have both of my dogs back in action last year and yeah hopefully the hopefully the same for Ika and I know you've got a yeah. you've got the potential of a new pup out there in the future <laughs> which maybe we'll talk yeah, about Yeah I'm going to have to pick your brain at some point um I just put a, a deposit down on a puppy, which could potentially be the late this year, early next year. So yep. we'll be moving from the, the one dog to two dogs. Like I talked about, like going out west, like you quickly realize if you're on a trip like that, you can't. You just can't, you don't have enough dog power with one dog, which was clearly open opened my eyes to the, the need to have another dog. Just because there's a trip that I take in the fall up to the UP for grouse and woodcock where I'm hunting for a week straight. And it's just like, it'd be nice to have yeah. more dog power in the woods. So, and it's, it's fun because I'm switching it up, um, going from a draw hard to an English setter. So excited to jump into that world. Yeah. I, I want to ask a couple questions about that, but I, before we quite leave the, the prairie trip, I want to just talk about, you know, what were, what were your expectations, if anything, as far as like the cover, the habitat, the hunting, I mean, anything like kind of really open your eyes or what's just stands out to you as memorable, you know, what did you like about it? I think, I mean, for me, like I went into that trip wanting to see it, like you, you have the big rolling hills. Mm-hmm. And for me, like the visual I had was seeing a dog on point, like just on a, on a ridge that I was walking up to. Um, I think just the vastness of the cover, um, yeah, it just seemed like endless, endless cover that you could be in. And I, it was quickly just talking with you and Garrett, just, you know, you guys have been out there and done your homework and you kind of pinpointed the type of cover that they're in, but I could see how like, that's going to take time for somebody to get out there and, and really nail down what, what type of cover that you're finding birds in. Cause it's like, you go to attract the land, like public land and 
it seems like you could, well, they could be anywhere, you know? Yeah. So, and it seems like you guys kind of, you, you had eyes and you knew what type of cover that you, you wanted to hit. You can kind of move your dog in a direction or try and hit the stuff that you want to hit. Yep. It, there, there's some cool ties there actually, because that you mentioned we got in, like we all met up last year, you, me and Garrett, and we drove out and we made it, you know, we had kind of planned this. We made it just in time to get an evening hunt in. And yep. with it, with being on a shortened timeline, we went to the spot that Garrett and I knew, knew about. This is a spot though, that if you rewind back to, this would be 2018, I think this okay. my first sharp tail trip. And Garrett and I found this place just driving around looking for unposted private land. I, I'm pretty sure we had Onyx yep. at the time. Now, Onyx didn't have the, uh, well, they didn't have the electronic trespassing thing that, that was a big deal last year. But anyways, we, we found this piece. It looked, I mean, my perception of what sharp tail cover was then versus now. I mean, I, I had no idea what I was looking at other than it was like, okay, this is grass we can hunt it. We have access to this and the grass looks kind of okay. But, but that was, that was like the extent of, of what I knew to be looking for. But anyways, that's the same spot that we all went to the first hunt. And I, I killed my first sharp tail in that, in that same cover in, in 2018 over Hartley. I remember I had a perfect opportunity at a double, which I don't yep. think I've, I don't think I've had a good opportunity at a double as good of an opportunity at a double since. And that was like about as easy as it gets. And I, I only killed one. I missed, I missed the other one, but yeah. And I think it was cool on that same spot. So like that, that spot was big enough where yep. the three of us, you know, we head out from the truck at the same point, but you can clearly go in separate directions and not be hunting the same birds or the yep. same cover. So, and it was cool on your bird. Like I was coming up on a hill and I saw Hartley on point and to see you go in for the flush and knock a bird, down. like just something like that, that that's a memory I have in my, hand, in my head from that trip. It's like, that's so sweet to be able to see that and, and not, and still be able to be hunting on my own, right. With my dog. Yes. But to be able to come up on a hill and see you get into action, like, just fires you up i think when you're out there especially on the first the first hunt of the trip yeah yep i would totally agree and this is coming from from two guys that spend a lot of time in the rough grouse woods where that's just not i mean the rolling terrain like you're not spreading out like that and keeping track of your hunting partners like it's just totally different um so yeah you do get treated to some really cool i mean i've got memories of you know sort of being on the ridge across and looking over right. at, at Garrett's dog on point and walk, seeing him walk, you know, you just see a little flicker of birds getting up in the air and then you hear a delayed yep. shot. Yep. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah. So like for me, like those are the type of things that I take away from that trip. Like just an image like that of Hartley going on point and being able to watch you walk in. Like those are lasting memories for me. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that hunt really in a number of ways, it does stand out. Cause I, I have similar recollections of, the way that cover sets up, it's kind of has a lot of what you're talking about. It has a lot of rolling terrain, which is yeah. not, it's not yep. uncommon out there, but that cup, co- that cover has got a nice mix of it. And there's a lot of draws where that water collects and that's where that snowberry and, and the rose hips yep. and stuff kind of pop up. And I can picture Ica on point right in one of those draws. I mean, right where you think there's going to be a sharp tail and you walked up there. I, I'm pretty sure you and flushed unfortunately, Did you miss that one? I missed that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely rushed that. 
I just felt like I rushed that shot, but yeah, we which, did have some luck. That's what rough girl hunters do out there. <laughs> right. I feel like it was like it all unfolded in front of me. I'm like, all right, my dog's unfolding. Like it's going to happen. You know, you, yep. know, you think about the whole drive out, you're, you're picturing what it's going to look like. And there it is. And I, I definitely rushed the shot that first, that first evening. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's... so you and Garrett had birds, but I, it took me another day to, to finally get mine. <laughs> yep. Yep. You had to, you had to earn it the next day, but the next morning you and Garrett had a really nice walk on a, on a really big piece of cover. That was just absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Garrett had Frankie down his younger pointer down yep. and it was fun to be able to, you know, talk about being able to go out together, but hunt separately. And there was other images I have in my head of Frankie going on point and Garrett walking in and yeah. Yeah. So he was able to get his limit and then we, he's like, you know, if you want, we can walk together on the way back. And I had, I think I had shot one at that point where he had already had his limit. So we walked out together and by the time we got back, I filled out my limit, but yeah, it was, it was a good hunt. Yeah. A lot of miles. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, you just, you can, you can cover so much more ground easily and the dogs are covering ground easier. So they're kind of pulling you along and yeah, that's a, that's a different feel. But again, as we, as we kind of got to like that first hunt of the year, you're real, you know, you're eager to stretch your legs and you're fired up and you know, the dogs are maybe not in mid season form, but it's not, it's not the hardest running other than just the sheer like volume of, of miles that they log, you know, you got to manage that. I remember that first night too. This seems to happen a lot out there. I think it takes on, and um, you'll probably appreciate this as, as a, as a photographer, but like you can see so much. So like when, when we left the truck, it was cloudy and, and the, the landscape has a certain look to it. But then as it seems like happens like more often than it should, like, right as the sun's about to go down the clouds kind of break and the golden sun just like washes across the entire landscape and it's just i mean that's yeah you just kind of stop and look around you're like wow this is cool i i definitely remember having that feeling too it's just like the whole countryside just lights up with that golden light and as a photographer that's that's the the light that i love to see yeah 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 so setter puppy in your in your future what was the uh what was the thinking behind switching it up other than just something different? So to be completely honest, like my background, I grew up, uh, we did a lot of waterfall hunting mm-hmm. and didn't do as much upland hunting. So when I went into my first dog thinking a versatile breed, um, I actually, the, the first time I hunted over a draw hunter was at a game farm. And I just, I remember walking away. I was newer to upland hunting at the time. And I was like, I want a dog like that. Yeah. So I went down that path and I, what kind of opened me up to that was the fact that they could do both waterfall and upland. Cause at the time I was doing more waterfall. So I wanted, I think I wanted to venture into doing more upland hunting. And I'll be honest, like I'm a classic case of like getting a dog that can do upland and point. And that definitely spurred me into kind of tipping the scales more towards upland, to be mm-hmm. honest, in the last last five, five or six years or more. And as I've gone into that upland world more and more, I think I just wanted the, the possibility of working with a dog that was bred specifically for one purpose. Like Ica's great. She does, she does well, but she wasn't bred to do upland 
primarily. In the same if, way. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. And so I just felt like life's too short to to stick with one breed and be like, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Like, I love Ica, but I think I was just curious um, yep. to have a dog that was bred for the purpose of working upland. So that kind of led me down that path. And I've had many conversations with, with people and breeders and um, people that I trust and know. And I think it just felt like it was the right fit for, for where I've kind of led my hunting into upland recently. Yeah. Yeah. Dogs will, dogs will do that. I mean, I was, I, I used to do a, a bit more waterfowl hunting and deer hunting, and I was always a pretty passionate grouse hunter, but I, you know, I thought I was until I got a bird dog and now it's like, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a different level for sure with the dog. And I, I don't know what, but like, I, I've said this to people, like, like seeing Ica retrieve a duck, yes, it pumps me up, but like, I don't know, I get, I just get more fired up seeing a dog on point and be able to walk in on a staunch dog. And so I know it takes work and not, not to say like a setter is just going to automatically point better than a, right. a draw hard, but I think there's just more instinct into that pointing than than what a draw hard has so yeah no that's gonna be that's gonna be fun for you and uh you're getting the dog from i paul hasn't been on the show yet that's kind of shame on me I've, I've been meaning to interview paul paul is a guy that he actually he helped me get my older dog hartley into our first sharp tails before my first trip going out there talking about that 2018 trip paul cook really? yeah paul cook of alder fork english setters he was a guy that um, he's, I mean, I think he's like this with a lot of people, but he's very willing to kind of share his experience and, and help people out. And I was one of those people that I just kind of, I don't even know how we crossed paths maybe on Instagram or something like that, but we figured out that we weren't too far away. And I was, I would think I was leading into that trip and, and I went down and to some of the areas that you can get into sharp tails around here without going, yep. you know, a day West. And yeah, I remember I, th- Gosh, I'm blanking a little bit, but I think it might have been the first time I had Hartley on sharp tails. Uh, Paul was right there with me, so. But that's who you're getting the dog from, and yeah. So that's where the pop the the pause I put down is for a pup out of Alder Fork. Yep. Kennels with Paul Cook, and I've actually sent Ica out to Paul the last two years just to kind of have her have some exposure on uh, running on wild sharp tails. So. And it was cool this last year, I actually did something I wanted to do the first year, but I was able to get up there mm. and walk with Paul the day that I went to go pick her up. Like I was like, can, can we try and line this up so that I can be out there and just run it, run her with you, you know? Yep. And she had been on a lot of birds and I've been getting updates from him, you know, while, while she was out there and she hadn't pointed one yet, but she'd been into a lot of birds and I'd seen videos of her getting in, getting birdie and putting birds in the air, but not pointing. And he's like, she's so like, he's just like, she's so close. Like, I just feel like she's so close, but you never know. Like, is it going to be the next bird, the next bird, the next bird. But that morning we went out and she had a find on a a single sharp tail held point. Paul walked in, I came in, we flushed the bird and just to see like, I don't know, for me, like Paul, it's not his dog. Right. But he's put time and energy into that dog. Yeah put her in the field and he was just as jacked up as I was to see Ike point that bird. And he's like, she's a bird dog. She's a bird. Like that's one of the things he says, like she's a bird dog today. Yeah. And so like for him, that was a culmination of all the time and, 
energy he spent with her bringing her out there and to see her point on the last day that I was going to go pick her up. So it was really cool. It was a cool morning. Like one of those, like one of those memories that you have, it could have worked out any better to have it work out like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. You talk about like after seeing that, I'm like, all right, now I'm going out west. Right. She's pointing to her tails. Yeah. Well, well, and yeah, she pointed a sharp tail the first time we put her on the ground out there. So yeah, yep. practice, practice paid off for sure. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, we could obviously spend all day talking rough grouse hunting and, and right, transitioning right. into that kind of stuff. But how was your, how was your rough grouse hunting season other than kind of having Ike go down mid season? Did, were you able to get out yeah. and do some good rough grouse hunting last year? So I was, I was able to get out. Um, I, like I talked about, I do that, that trip. It's kind of become an annual thing where we go up to my, my wife's family's cabin in the UP. Yep. Um, it used to be where we'd go up for like a long weekend in the last couple of years, it's kind of turned into uh, like a 10 day trip up there. And it's usually in the middle of October. Um, and I was able to go up there nice and timing. like I said, yeah, perfect timing. <laughs> and just with, with work, I've been able to work from home. Yeah. So it just makes it a little bit easier to get up there, but I was able to get up there and she, w- it was when Ica was, it didn't seem like that injury that I talked about earlier. Like it wasn't affecting her. Her she was running perfectly fine. Mm. So it must have been in that period where the, my vet was talking about where there there clearly was a period where she seemed fine before the scar tissue took over. So that trip went really well. It was the, probably the most grouse that I've gotten into in past years. So and she she did well. Um, yeah, it was it was a good trip. Yeah, and then you got out. You got I know you got out later season a time or two yeah. with, with Garrett maybe. Yeah, and then after I had to shut it down with Ike, I, yeah. I was able to get out with Garrett and hunt a couple times and had some good late season hunts. But um, yeah, most of that was local around here in Minnesota. So yeah, no, it was good. Good deal. All right, well, we are going to transition a little bit and and start talking turkey hunting as we kind of hinted at earlier in the episode. Now, you've commented a little bit on growing up hunting and stuff and you were doing some waterfowling, but talk to me about how your passion and love and how, you know, hunting with your dad and stuff, how, how turkey hunting for you kind of grew into what it is for you today. Yeah. And I think I, when I mentioned like growing up, like we did more waterfowl, it was, it was waterfowl and turkeys growing up and a little bit of deer hunting mixed in there. But for me, like there's always been the constant theme for my family and the traditions that we have is, is turkey hunting for sure and one of the reasons why that was is my dad has been working for the the national wild turkey federation for the last over 25 years or so yeah so it just naturally we 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 lean towards a turkey hunting family so i was fortunate to grow up with him and he would always be on these taking these trips and when i was in middle school high school the the licenses were cheaper so i was able to take along with my dad and and go on a lot of out-of-state trips okay and for me like that has always been something that i've i've loved to do is to to not only hunt in my my home state of minnesota but every year try and go to a state that is also you know something that i I haven't been to or yeah so that that's something i love to do is to to go turkey hunting both here in Minnesota and the Midwest and then also venture out to different states. So I've actually, I've been fortunate enough to go to 13 states so far. And then I also went to Mexico. Okay. When did you do that? 
That would have been back in 2011, 2010, somewhere back then. Okay. And that was one of the coolest hunts I've ever been on. So we, we flew down to Chihuahua, Mexico. So like middle of Mexico. And I remember it was around a time when I feel like there was heightened um, awareness around the drug cartels oh. in Mexico. So they're advising not to go to Mexico. And we actually were the only two people at this outfitter that we went to. My dad was really? friends with the owner of the, <laughs> the lodge that we went to. I remember my mom was my mom was not happy. Oh yeah. That, that I decided to still go on this trip. But so we were up in in the mountains surrounding Chihuahua City going after Goulds, which I think there's a small population of Goulds in New Mexico, but otherwise if you want to shoot a Goulds turkey, you have to go to Mexico. So and my dad and I were we were able to both shoot a bird on that trip. Very I think cool. my dad actually shot shot two birds when we were on that trip. But I remember flying into Chihuahua and getting off, and there were I think there were police officers holding, you know, assault rifles and driving sure, around town, sure. sitting in the back of trucks with masks on their face and holding rifles, driving around town. Like what? What am I doing down here trying to shoot a turkey? <laughs> Love it. What is the basic? I don't know that we'll get into all this today, but the basic different differences of a Gould's turkey, like size-wise versus what, like the more common one here would be the Eastern Merriams, right? Yeah. Okay. So up here in the Midwest of Minnesota, we have Eastern, and that's all pretty much throughout the the Midwest and then down to the South, Southeast. And the biggest difference you'd see is the coloration on them. Okay. Uh, a Gould's is similar to a, a Miriam's where you have those buff white tips on the tail feathers on the tail feathers. Yep. Yeah. But I think they are, they're generally bigger than a Miriam's. Okay. So a little bit bigger than, than a Miriam's, but hard to beat the color on a Miriam's or a Gould's with the white tipped feathers. Yeah. They are a, they are a stunning bird. That's for sure. And I, so I've gone, I think I'm three years into Turkey hunting now could be four. I think it's three, um, okay. just, uh, for a little, I was going to ask you, yeah, like how many years have you, if you had done it prior to, I know recently you've, you've been getting into it and hunting, but yeah. I wasn't sure if you had grown up going no. turkey hunting at all. No. And that's where I want to get to my next, um, dumb question. So you grew up in Minnesota, kind of Metro area your whole life. Yep. Okay. Yep. So turkeys have this weird place in my mind in that, I mean, it wasn't that long ago where I'm at here in Duluth, Minnesota, we were talking about, like, if you saw a turkey, and there's there's kind of a funny story with a, another mutual friend of Garrett and, and mine, where, like, we would, every once in a while you'd see a turkey. I mean, this is within within the last 10 years, but probably, like, 10 years ago or something, where we were college. You were talking about in Duluth there? Yeah, yeah. We're in college, and you see a turkey, and I think it was me. I'm, I have to ask Garrett this, but I think I actually emailed the DNR and the DNR at that time was saying that's, that's yeah. not a wild Turkey. That is a Turkey right. that somebody has raised and released. Whereas, yeah. you know, now we basic, I mean, I, I haven't emailed the DNR in quite some time, but I've seen turkeys that I pretty much believe are, are wild, whether where they came from or where they're sourced from, I'm not sure, but I, I just want to get like, as you paying more attention to turkeys over your lifetime like what is the story arc of turkeys in minnesota and like 
how quickly has this changed where, you know, I could basically go buy an over-the-counter turkey tag? Right. I think we've come a long way. And I, my dad would know a lot more of the history than I do sure. being part of the NWTF for so long. But this goes back to the NWTF partnering with the DNR here and doing trap and transplant. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I remember when I was a kid, I was able to be a part of some of those um, trap and transplant where they would capture birds and then relocate them to different areas of the state. Because I think the majority of the birds were down in southern Minnesota and they, they would trap birds down there. Or I even know that they they got birds from other states, but they would relocate them to different parts of the state and try and build different flocks up throughout the state. But talking about having birds up in Duluth, I remember growing up, they used to have this this map of Minnesota and they had this line that was cut through the state as essentially like a, a winter kill line. Like mm-hmm. no turkeys could ever live yep. north of this line. And I remember it being every year, like that line just kept growing and growing as birds proved to be hardier than than originally thought. Um, I think definitely they do struggle in areas where the, the average annual snowfall is going to be higher than the south. But right. I think they've definitely proven that they are able to survive um, in those those northern parts of the state, which even like even talking about today, it like blows my mind that there are birds up by Duluth or, you know, I know somebody that shot a bird up by Moose Lake. So, yep. which... It's hard. It's hard to even imagine that they're that far. Yeah, it still feels a little weird to me. I mean, like where I'm at mentally now. I mean, if you drive south out of Duluth, it's like basically turkey country in my mind. I'm saying, but like yeah. the in the last five years, you know, I've either seen or, you know, hearing hearing it is one thing. But I mean, in the last couple of years, I have seen birds, you know, north of Duluth in like what I would yeah. consider, you know, like the heart of my rough grouse country where I'm not thinking about seeing turkeys and I'm seeing them there. And it's, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know, like that line. So that line, you know, they, they weren't here before, you know, not that long right. ago. I, I think right. it would be safe to say they weren't really there. Cause you can, you know, it's not like uh it's not like grouse or woodcock where, you know, like turkeys, you can see, you know, if you're, you're going to see them on the roads, you're going right. to see them in the fields. They're yep. pretty visible birds. So, and now to be able to see them pretty frequently. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now I don't see them around town here, which I kind of find, see, I find that a little bit interesting. I go back to about a decade ago when I was living in Minneapolis, you know, very common around there to see turkeys in some of the green spaces and, you know, walk right up on them. And it was cool to me there because I hadn't seen a lot of turkeys, but if I've got turkeys in the woods north of me, why don't we have them here in town? You know, in Duluth, we've got a lot right. of green space, but I imagine there's some, you know, a, a real wildlife biologist could probably answer some of these questions, but there's got to be some sort of, you know, development or evolution where they kind of get comfortable, like intermingling with, I don't, I don't know, like, but it just seems to me like if, if they're so ingrained in kind of the Twin Cities yeah. metro area, like they would eventually move into town here. But, Especially for, I mean, I've seen, like you've sent pictures of like, you have white-tailed deer in exactly. your neighborhood. Like, yeah. like, why are there not, like, why are there not turkeys in your neighborhood? Yeah. Yeah. If I looked out back on this ridge where I tend to see big bucks, if I saw a big gobbler standing there, that would be, <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> no. Yeah. They're definitely a nuisance here down. I'm, I'm up in the North Metro, like 45 minutes from Minneapolis, but they're all over the place. And I, 
I always have buddies that will send me like a Snapchat or a picture and be like, oh, they're so elusive. Like, right, right. You got to go to a different state to go find these birds. I got them in my backyard. Why don't you come hunt them here? And like, well, that's yeah. The point of, yeah, that's the same thing that happens with deer, especially around hunting season. You know, I'll look out my window here and got a big, you know, giant eight pointer. And then you might, right. you know, I, I haven't, I didn't even hunt last year, which I, I'm kind of bummed about. But I, I actually recall when I was working downtown Minneapolis, walking down Nicolette Avenue, I was probably just got south of Target and like kind of went through this little corridor where there's like a little sliver of green space. And I remember seeing turkeys in there, but this was like, I mean, in downtown Minneapolis. It's like, yep. what are these birds doing here? I think the craziest picture I ever saw, I can't remember who sent to me, but it was a picture of a strutting bird on top of the United Healthcare building. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And it's like, what, what in the world is that bird doing up there? Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, we're definitely not... fun to see, but. Yes. Sucks yeah. when you see birds getting hit around the metro and it's like, right. clearly they're, they're a little bit of a nuisance and the population is getting to be a bit big around the, the metro. Yeah. Those are not the birds that uh, are there outsmarting us out in the woods. No. When we go out those. No. those are the birds we want to talk about. <laughs> but tell me briefly the story about. You you posted something on Instagram about this. How you were it was kind of one of a goal of yours to get a a strutting tom with snow on the ground. And so tell me about yeah. that that morning that was a couple of weeks ago or so. Yeah, I, for whatever reason, like that's just up here being in the north. I feel like that was a picture I wanted to get because it's. I think it would just blow other people's minds around the the nation where it's like down south they've been hunting since you know since March, right? And right. It doesn't even cross their mind that we're still up here with snow on the ground and the fact that a bird could be strutting and, you know, being ready to breed when there's snow on the ground. So I think that was part of that was just be, trying to show like this, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with up here in the, the North country, right? Like we're, we're hardy people and we have hardy birds up here. And so I woke up that morning and I'm responsible for dropping my son off at, at school in the morning. But I was like, I just, it was a, a calm morning. Yep. There wasn't a lot of wind and it was a, a light snow on the ground. I'm like, I got to go. So I dropped my son off. Had all, I had all my camouflage on while I dropped my son off in the school, the school line. And I, I hustled out to the woods up here in the North Metro uh, to a spot that I, I go out pretty regularly to try and call birds in with my camera. And I don't know this. I, I feel like this spring, the birds have just been busting me. For whatever reason, really? like I've just been struggling with with the birds. But fortunately, this morning I was able to call in two two mature gobblers. They were coming through the woods, but for whatever reason, they just I felt like they either didn't want to engage with my decoy. Which for me, when I'm out taking pictures of turkeys, I put decoys out just because sure. I want their focus to be on the decoy and not on me. Um, just because I don't go out with a blind when I go out taking pictures. I was going to ask you that. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I'm pretty stubborn. Like, I feel like there's been a lot of opportunities where if I was in a blind, I would be able to have a lot more pictures than I come out of the woods with. But I like to approach taking pictures the same way that I, I hunt birds and the way that I was raised and the way that we, we do it is we don't necessarily sit in a blind. So which makes it a lot harder when you're on the ground, you're trying to move a camera and, you know, adjust settings and stuff like that. But I was able to call those two birds in, get one in full strut. Um, but they definitely sensed either that I was there or 
cops and movement or the fact that they just didn't want to go into my Jake decoy. Unfortunately, they, they didn't stick around long, but I was able to get, get some shots and get that, that, that shot that I was looking for. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit UplandGunCompany.com. Yeah, super cool photos. I I like the I like the stubbornness on your part. I, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, you're a hunter first before you're a right. photographer, right? So right. I think that's you know that's that's kind of a cool way to go about it. Obviously, you're you're sort of forcing yourself into a, a position where same same goes for deer hunting too. Like if you you put yourself in positions where it's almost like you know, your season's not on the line. You're not trying to fill a tag that day. So you're, right. you don't have the pressure, but it's like, let's see what I can get away with here. You know, let's, right. let's test myself. And again, that's going to build your confidence for when you do turn around and, and have oh. the gun or the bow or whatever. Definitely. And I just feel like being a hunter, like, I don't, it makes me a better photographer just cause I can anticipate yep. how the bird is going to work and, and whatnot. But I feel like when I'm out there without a blind, like I'm not, creating bad habits right sure. like if i was in a blind and i was moving and like all, all of a sudden maybe i go out hunting i'm, I'm carrying the gun and i feel like i can get away with more or more movement or whatever just because i've been sitting in a blind watching these birds and i'm i'm not on their level i'm not out in the open so i just feel like it translates well to when i'm out there hunting so yeah so let's use those that morning, those birds, as an example, to try to educate me, the amateur turkey hunter. So I'm curious, like, how did you go about locating those birds? Did you go right to a spot and sit down and say, I'm going to start calling here? Or were you on your feet doing locating, trying to find birds first? That's the tough thing when I'm out with my camera, like, so I have to have my tripod set up. Okay. And I feel like when I'm out hunting and I'm able to run and gun and try and locate birds, like, you're able to pick a setup and get get set up quicker than if you have a camera and you're trying to get that set up. So a lot of times when I'm out photographing, I will sit down and just set up and then call. But like you talked about a lot of times where maybe if you don't find a bird right off the roost, you are what they call running and gunning and you're trying to prospect. You're trying to find a a bird that is willing to gobble and work the call where you're, you're slowly moving through the woods, calling every hundred, 200 yards. Yep. Uh, trying to strike up a bird but when i go out and take pictures a lot of times i do just set up put the decoys out just because i want just in case a bird does gobble i don't want to be stuck trying to get set up with the camera yeah and they're coming in so that's the only one downfall that i i that i struggle with sometimes when i'm out taking pictures that i feel like 
I'm not able to do it the way that I normally would if I were hunting, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple, couple differences, but okay. I got you. So let's, all right, let's lean into from there. We'll kind of lean into the hunting side of things because that's something I am curious about. And you kind of answered, or you at least commented about some of the things I'm curious about, which is, and this is, this goes back to, I've been turkey hunting for three years. Two of those years, I was basically with other more experienced turkey hunters. Yep. And I, I ended up being successful both the, those years in very large part due to these experienced turkey hunters that I was with. The other year that I did it, I was on my own and I was hunting over by my cabin in Wisconsin. I drew a tag over there. And the problem I ran into by myself was that I just had not had enough experience on the ground to really to keep my confidence up when things didn't go my way. And so the point being, I didn't realize, and I've got a better understanding of this now after the hunt that Garrett and I had last year, because we had a good number of encounters in a few short days and kind of made them happen in different ways. So that was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But let's say we're, we're going to be turkey hunting tomorrow. Ideally you can be doing a little scouting the night before. How are you going to, how are you going to approach that? So, I mean, like what you'd, want to do the night before is try and get out and what they say is roost a bird yep which is trying to find a bird towards dusk or towards right right at sundown you know that is going up to roost and a lot of times but not always this is the hard thing it's like i wish they would always do it but they don't always do it but they'll gobble on the roost Mm -hmm. when they're up in a tree but what you would essentially want to do is go out the night before go to an area where you you know there are birds and try and locate them on the roost. And one of the ways you can do that is you can do a coyote call, you can do an owl call. But essentially what you're trying to do is shock, gobble yep. a bird, make them gobble at a loud noise. You can, I mean, you essentially you could take out a, a turkey call and try and call them also. But one of the most effective ways is to try and shock, make them do a shock gobble and give away their position of where they're roosted that night so that you would go in the next morning knowing full well where that bird is roosted and like you talked about like onyx earlier in the in the the call there's a great way that you can just drop pins you know like when you find that location drop a pin so you can you can sneak in the next morning and try to get it within 100 yards or so of that bird on the limb that is a great that's something that is it's a way that i don't really use onyx for my grouse hunting because you, we're not, yeah. we're not doing this, but man, yeah, that's something that I, I got experience with that. My very first turkey hunt with Garrett, we had a bird. I think we had a bird gobbling the night before. And like, you know, you kind of like, you know, which way you're looking. So you've got onyx open and you can sort of point the phone that way and just kind of estimate like how far and drop that pin. I mean, for getting set up the following morning in the dark and trying to keep that location in, I mean, wow, what an effective use of onyx right. that is yeah that's huge and it's great i mean that how how old is that technology right like <laughs> yeah it's fairly new but it's it's an effective way to the next morning everything looks a little bit different in the dark and right. it's like okay I know, I know where that bird is and you can you can even put a line distance where you think okay i think it's like 100 150 yards and like yep so you're not getting too close to that bird on the roost and that goes it goes back to like you know, you're talking about loving, you know, this idea of the adventure going to a new state, you know, like, so in the case of when you're 
hunting a new spot, you're not going up to the same ridge that you've gone up to 10 years in a row. Like, you know, I'm, I might do if I'm deer hunting or something, not that you don't do that turkey hunting, but as I'm just getting my feet wet, like every place I go is a brand new place. And so right. if you hear a bird gobbling like that, again, using the technology to your advantage there to drop a pin and, and help you out the next morning, that's, it's a small thing, but not to be overlooked. I mean, I think that could really, that can go a long ways into, into helping you be successful. Okay. So then the next morning, let's say, all right, let's take, let's take this two ways. We got a bird roosted. What do we do the next morning? So the next morning, like I said, you're, you're going to want to try and get to within a, a distance where that bird, when it flies down, it's going to be close, right? So you want to be 175 yards away from that bird. And for me, when a bird is on the roost, I, the next morning I'm trying as best I can to not call. Okay. Like it's so tempting, especially like all of a sudden he starts sounding off, he's gobbling, he's hammering on the limb and it's so tempting to call. And I think more often than not, people call too much in the morning when the bird is still up in the tree. And I think you can get away with some calling, but I don't, I don't think you want to sit there and make that bird gobble and gobble and gobble. Um, one of the things I like to do is just a saw, like a soft yelp in the morning just like a, a bird waking up on the on the limb, letting that bird know that I'm there, that I'm close, and try and shut it down after that. Like, make him want to come looking for mm-hmm. me. Yep. If I'm sitting there calling, he's gobbling. A lot of times what he'll do is he'll sit there and gobble and gobble and roost. The hens will come towards him. He'll fly down, walk away with the hens, right? So the more that I call, the more that he thinks I'm coming, that I should be coming to him. Sure. So I think... Less is more, especially in the morning. And even anytime you're hunting, I think less is more when you're calling. But it's so tempting to sit there because it's it's so rewarding, right? Like you're yes. interacting with that bird. Like I'm yelping, he's responding. That's great. But nature would say, okay, now you're supposed to go to him rather than him come to you. So yeah, I think you're trying to play that game of be there, show, show him that you're there, but not give him too much. Yeah. Temptation is a good word to use there. Cause I think, yeah, especially, you know, through my beginner eyes, like c- compared to other forms of hunting, like that whole interaction where, you know, you can actually influence this bird to gobble and just like, I mean, yeah. this, the sheer excitement around that is one thing, but then the fact that you can kind of control it to a certain extent, like, yes, yeah, right. super, super tempting. <laughs> and going back to like, what, what's the drop in turkey? And for me, it, it's the gobble. Like, yeah. If it wasn't for that, like that, that just gets me fired up when you hear, like for me, hearing that first gobble in the spring, it's like, all right, a a switch has been flipped for me. And it's like, all right, it's turkey season now. Yeah. Yeah. From an aesthetics perspective, that sound gobbling and then throw in the spitting and drumming. I mean, it's like the, you know, comparing it to deer hunting. A lot of times deer hunting is like sitting and waiting and, and there's just, it seems to be a whole, like it's another level of, of engagement yep. and dynamics in turkey hunting. And it's like kind of a missing element from deer, deer hunting. Not that deer hunting can't be exciting as hell, but that right. the turkey hunting. Yeah. The, I've, I've been immediately drawn so you have that to direct, that. direct interaction. I feel like, like, like you said, like you can control it to some extent. Right. But you know that when you're calling, he's responding, like. There's that back and forth that you have there. So right. So all right. So on that note, and I and I think I've done enough reading and kind of paid attention to turkey hunting enough to you'll hear people say, like you're really what you're really doing calling is you're 
you're trying to get a gobbler to go against his nature, right? Because because when things work yeah. perfectly in nature, he gobbles, the hens come to him. You're trying to get him to do the opposite in coming to you. So that's like the uphill battle of calling. Is that correct? Right. Yep. And I think there's also like, there's times where if he is with hens, there's where you can get a hen fired up enough where mm, okay. she yep. comes looking for you. Um, so that's another tactic that you can you can throw into your quiver where like, okay, he's with hens, he's not budging, but I can, I can try and ruffle her feathers to get her to come, come looking for me. And a lot of times she'll pull that gobbler your direction. So all is not lost if he, if he is with hens. Right, right. Yeah. You don't give up on that bird. Okay. So let's go back to, let's go back to, to summarize. If we are so fortunate to get a bird roosted, the morning it, the the game plan is pretty easy at that point. You're obviously going right. to go back to that bird, try to get close, close but not too close. I mean, they're these birds are paying attention in the morning. Like right. if you get too close, you'll what will they do? I mean, it, like if you just if you wound up right under one, will they just take off from the tree? There's been times where yeah, that's what they will do. But there's been times where I've I've walked under birds that are still asleep and they've stayed up in the tree. Right, they don't. So, they don't necessarily want to leave the tree in the dark, and they feel relatively right. safe up there. I think they will if you are being too no. Like if you're making a ton of noise and you're walking through the woods and you walk underneath one, I think they will fly. But there's been times where if, if you are being quiet, you you could potentially walk right underneath one. So another thing to keep in mind is as you're walking through the woods, like be quiet, lift your feet up, and try and be quiet. Yeah, I'll tell it. It made me think of the, a funny story. This is literally my first morning of turkey hunting ever. I'm with Garrett, and we, like I said, we we did roost a bird the night before, and it was kind of like you know we we felt like we found some clever access to a pretty big piece of public land, I think, and we took this sort of long way to like get to the spot. So it was like my point of saying that is like we felt like we were way back there, right? <laughs> and and yep. we got to this spot and we sat down and I remember as the sun came up, we were not very far away from a hen. She was up above us in the tree. We didn't spook her out of the tree. She just flew down yep. from the tree, but both of us were kind of like, whoa, we were right under that bird, right? <laughs> right. And so then I don't remember exactly how much gobbling we heard, but we started to hear a hen yelp and then Garrett got on the call and he was yelping. And so there was this back and forth yelping and I bet you- yeah. 15, 20 minutes passed before I finally, about a hundred plus yards away, I literally picked out the silhouette of another hunter sitting at the base of this tree. And it turned oh, out no Garrett, Garrett and, and this guy were calling back were and calling forth. calling back and forth. Yes, yes. Which I had heard stories like that of turkey hunting, but I just <laughs> never thought like that was going to be my first morning. And I don't, I honestly don't know that the guy ever saw us or knew that we were there he just kind of got up and walked away maybe he did see us oh man well i don't know about these yahoos but yeah <laughs> that was my but first you bring morning. up a good point about <laughs> about garrett going back and forth um when i talked about like trying to ruffle a hen's feathers yep. like that's one of the things i do is i'll mimic like exactly like if she does three yelps like i'll do three yelps mm-hmm. like just doing exactly what she's doing and a lot of times i'll try and do that on top of what she's doing like as she's yelping i'll yelp on top of her and I feel like that's a very effective method to try and, especially if she is a very vocal hen. Yep. Um, yep. That's a way to, to get her upset and come looking for you. Like hens want to fight too in the spring, you know, like 
they're they're a bit territorial. And, Everybody's fired up. Yep. Yeah. All right. Back to the back to the example. Let's flip the script and say we did not get a bird roost. So this is the again. This is the big black hole where it's like, okay, now what the heck do I do? What's your plan? Right. What's your plan if you don't have a bird roosted? What are you doing in the in the morning? How early are you getting out there? And what are you gonna do? And I think even like if that bird flies down, let's say it flies down and goes a the other separate way. direction. Yeah. I think there is still there's like two ways you can go, right? Like depending on how receptive he was to your call, like if he's answering you and he's he's with the hen, I think there's there's a time where you can try and just move your setup and get around that bird and you still are you can still try and stay on that bird. Mm-hmm. Um, so just the fact that he left and went a different direction doesn't mean that you have to give up all hope on that bird. Um, but there's times where I feel like you just feel like that bird is just not, he's not today. He's not going to play the game. He's not, there's, there's no chance to get in that bird. Then I think you go to the running gun style where you're going to be moving out and trying to strike up a different bird. And where I talked about, you're going to be walking through the woods slowly calling every hundred, 200, yards trying to strike up a different bird and i guess it depends on where where you're hunting right do you have access to a large area of land where you can you can move about or are you stuck to like a 40 acre piece right yep so it's all it's all relative to what where you're hunting but i would try and do a running gun where i'm i'm moving and i'm calling and a lot of times there you might come across an area where you see a lot of scratching in the spring yep you'll see these scratching in the in the woods where they're feeding they're they're moving leaves around and trying to to find stuff to eat like if you find an area with a lot of sign or if you know an area where they they are there's times where i'll sit down in an area yep. give it 15 20 minutes call you know call, call quietly and just be patient and see if something does come come through that area so i, I would go between those two things like either moving and calling or finding a good area giving it some time being patient and you brought up a good a good thing earlier about spitting and drumming. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that gets overlooked by some people. Like turkeys don't always gobble. It's frustrating when they, when they don't, but I think that's a, a noise that you really need to know what it is. And I think there's tons of videos out on YouTube where you can try and learn what spitting and drumming sounds like, but there's been so many hunts where I've been set up, a bird's not gobbling. All of a sudden I hear spitting and drumming, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And it's like, if you, if you don't know what that sound is, you're not going to know that there's a bird out there. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's the thing that an, a new turkey hunter definitely should spend some time trying to figure out what that sound is. And it's interesting, not every bird that I've ever hunted, even when they're strut. So it's a, a noise they make when they're strutting. Right. But I've had birds that are strutting that you could barely even hear it when mm. they're within gun range, but there's some birds that like you hear it from like, I'll swear like a hundred yards out, you can hear the spinning and drumming. Yeah. It's kind so. of like, and I'm, I mean, they're, they're different, but like, like a rough grouse, if you hear it drumming and you're a hundred yards away from it, it sounds a certain way. And then you get 20 yep. yards away from the grouse. It really yep. doesn't sound yep. all that different, you know, Yeah, but like it's, it's just a, it's a weird frequency, I guess would be the simplest way to put it. And yeah, it's, and there's definitely a rhythm to it too. Like mm-hmm. there's been times where like, I'll be walking through the woods and you know, you're slowly walking, stopping and all of a sudden you'll hear it and you can almost stop and be like, all right, did I hear spinning and drumming? And you like, you wait and pause and there's a rhythm to it that as they're moving, 
they're spinning and drumming and it's a rhythmic sound that you can kind of pick up on. Yeah. And then you're trying to hear it between the pounding of your heart in your chest and your, in your head and you're like right. wait is that spitting and drumming or is that just my head about to explode <laughs> right yeah. and depending on the terrain that you're hunting like let's say you're set up on a bird yeah and you have a rolling hill in front of you all of a sudden you hear that he's not gobbled like he gobbled maybe five minutes ago he's gone silent all of a sudden you hear that like that's a good indicator like you better be ready because he's going to pop up at any moment right yeah so i definitely that's one thing i'd say for like a new hunter that's trying to get into turkey hunting is that's one of the sounds that I I try and do some some homework on and listen to. Uh yeah, that that's a that's a very good point. You definitely would want to know that if you hear it and you yeah, I think it is probably one of those things where you know, once you could once you see a bird and and connect the dots which yeah, I'm sure you could see a video of it. Right. Like it's just right. you got to sort of know what it is you're looking for to be able to perceive it when you're out in the woods. So that's a good point. Persistence is huge. And, and I will say that is one thing that when you're just getting started, and this is what I went through, like I mentioned earlier, I kind of lacked the confidence. Like the first time I was doing it on my own, when I was trying to, like the night I went out to try to roost a bird, you know, I basically drove yeah. to a spot where I felt like, you know, it's in the middle of a big section of public land and I could see yeah. and hear and did a little calling. Of course, I have no confidence in my calling. You know, I got a box call and we'll talk about calls here in a little bit, but you call a couple times, you don't hear anything. So then I kind of move and, and go to another spot, call a couple times, don't hear anything. And, and just like after a couple times, they're just like, well, this, I'm never going to find a bird here, you know, right. like it's just, right. and they just didn't know what to do. And so like the next morning it was kind of the same thing. I didn't hear any gobbling. And at that point you feel like, well, it's a, it seems like a needle in a haystack proposition here. But yeah. what I will say is that last year going with Garrett and hunting with him and like, having him to sort of like, you know, he's been through it before. So he kind of pushed me along, like just yep. being persistent, even if it seems silly to call, move a hundred yards, oh. call, move a hundred yards, call. I mean, we did that. Like my bird that I got last year, we went so far down this forest road, moving and calling. And every time we called, you just felt less and less like anything was ever going right. to happen. And we got to the literally the end of this road and we call and like way back behind us, we hear a gobble and by, you know, we perk up. We're like, holy cow, like there it is. You know, after we literally stopped the call, like probably 50 times. I mean, it was just, it was that many times. And it, so we went and got set up and, and this goes to another point that you made. We got them gobbling wherever they were. They were kind of up on this little knob and we were sitting there and they, I don't, I don't know that we. I don't know that we knew they were moving. They were just gobbling. And so we were waiting for them to come in. And then things got real quiet for probably, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes or so. And we actually, yep. both of us got up. I mean, we were ready to throw in the towel. It was towards the end of the day, actually. We were going to be done. And then both of us thought we heard spitting and drumming. And so we real quick sat back down. And sure enough, yep. it was spitting and drumming. These gobblers had walked all the way around this little kind of marshy swamp thing and three of them ended up coming in and I, and I made a shot on one, but again, like we could have quit like so many times during that hunt, oh, I, but kept at it. And then it just happens just like that. Right. I feel like you bring up two things there, persistence and patience, right? Like yeah. persistence, like it can change in the Turkey woods in an instant. Like you could be down and out, like head and heart a bird all day. You let out a call and bam, like hundred yards away, a bird answers. Like, I feel like it can change so quickly when you're out there to just not give up you know and then patience like 
on those birds. Like there's so many times where I've had that happen where you're like, he's all of a sudden he's gone silent. Right. And a lot of times when they go silent and they've been gobbling really well, your call, I'm thinking they're coming right now. But when it's like that 15, 20 minute mark where it's like, I haven't heard him in 15, 20 yes. minutes and, and they haven't answered my call recently. It's like, those are times you're like, Oh, he's gone. And you go to get up and all of a sudden there he is. Right. Yep. Or, or you hear spitting and drumming. So not giving up on a setup when they have been responding. Cause a lot of times maybe they are trying to get around some obstacle in the woods, right. Mm-hmm. Or trying to get around something that you don't know that's out there. Uh, on that note, like, is there a way, let's say you, you had a bird gobbling, you got down, got set up, you're calling, maybe he's calling a little bit, then it goes quiet. Is there a way that you kind of like, yeah, at some point we got to pull the plug on a setup, right? Whether the bird is totally gone or we just don't know it. Is there a way that you try to get out of that to try to protect yourself and maybe give you your some odds or you just kind of get up real slow, look around and just, it is what it is. Yeah. I think, I mean, like you said, like slow, like depending on whatever terrain you're on, but I think you're slowly like maybe inching up the tree to see if you can see a little bit further out there, depending on what the vegetation is or whatever, but not just like, Oh, screw this. Like, stand right up right like slowly get up and try and assess what's around you right yeah that makes sense i mean some of that some of that is just kind of natural like hunter hunter instinct right and stuff but again it, unless you if it's not matched up with confidence you can kind of get that real head scratchy feeling like i have no idea what i'm doing which that's <laughs> that's part of it too you know i mean you gotta right you gotta earn your stripes which it's been it's been fun and i've like i said i to see it happen different ways. Garrett and I both got our birds on the same day last year and his bird, we were just messaging about this yesterday because we're, we're obviously getting excited about our hunt this year, but like our birds were kind of opposite in that with his, we parked, we parked the truck, we started walking and we didn't get very far before he was doing some locator calling, doing some yelping or whatever. And we had a gobble and I kind of thought we had two, and then one of them became real clear. So we're like, okay, this is the bird. We w- moved up this road. And I, I know we, we actually called and I'm, I'm repeating this story because we called you from the tailgate and told you this whole story, but we I love those calls. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a, that was a start of a really, really good day. But to your point of how things can change in an instant, we started moving on this bird and we were not in like amped up mode because he was a ways off. Well, yep. then all of a sudden we hear a gobble that is like on top of us. So we scramble, hit the deck, get undercover as quick <laughs> as we can. And no sooner than we were like as hidden as we were going to be, which wasn't great, but we had some, we had some terrain features, a little mound and stuff in front of us that saved the day for us. Garrett kind of peeked out down this logging road two track. And this bird was basically sprinting down the road and he came all the way in. And that's the bird that... Garrett ended up getting so again there's your polar opposite like in an instant the bird is on top of you and I don't recall was that the same bird that you'd originally heard or was that a different bird it was it was the same bird yeah we there was another bird in a different direction that I thought I heard I think Garrett was like I think he's his ears might be a little better than mine but I thought I had one had one going and he had this one pegged and then this one came it was this bird that we were moving towards, but then he decided to just basically close the gap and come in, right yep. in on us. Yep. No, and even you talk about like training your ears to a gobble. Like there's been times where I've been out with people that you hear a bird gobbling and you're like, did you hear that? And they're like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Like depending on how far away it is, you may only kept catch like the, the back end of a gobble, right? 
versus if they're close, clearly you're going to hear that it's a gobble. Right. But there's been times where you hear a bird gobble and you're just getting the faint end of a gobble. But training your ears to be able to hear that and know what it is is definitely is effective. Yeah, that that aspect of of turkey, and we talked about it earlier. I mean, again, it's just there's a couple things going for it in my opinion. One one of the main ones being that it's a spring thing, right? It's a yeah. it's offsetting to most of the other hunting seasons, and like you know, this part of the world we're dying to get back out there, and then you throw on top of it like this whole exciting you know gobbling and turkey hunting and everything. It's just it's a really really cool thing to do in the spring but that component of it the sounds and the sights of it all like this big prominent bird that you see in the i mean there's it's got yeah. a lot going for it i mean that's obviously we're not telling people anything they don't know there's a reason why it's so popular but man my eyes have been open that's for sure i'm glad we have the opportunity up here oh for sure no i mean the spring like what better time to see creation just like come alive like all the sounds that you talk about like and the cool thing is being able to have birds further north where you have you have grouse, you yes. hear woodcock in the morning, you hear sandhill crick. Like, there's so many different noises in the woods, and it's just a cool time to be out there. Yeah, that's a great point. The The area that we were hunting was definitely, you know, it's good turkey country, but it's there's definitely rough grouse there, so we heard tons of drumming, and in the morning, lots of woodcock painting. I mean, yeah, it's like, yeah. A, it's like a, a, you know, a bird hunter's paradise, basically. It's like you kill, kill two birds with one stone right here. You're scouting for grouse in the fall and your turkey. Yes. All right. Let's talk. Let's talk calling here a little bit. We'll we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here shortly. But from the beginner's perspective, I know you're a you're a pretty uh, experienced caller, and obviously it's something that you work at over time. I've been working with these mouth calls, and I'm like, yep. I don't know. I every once in a while I can make the right sound, but I I struggle. So I like I gotta get some. I gotta keep practicing, <laughs> obviously. But what are the calls that from a beginner's perspective, what's the most bang for our buck? Like what could we do to, yep. to make the best sounds and like be as capable as we possibly can be knowing that we're a beginner? I think, I mean, the best call that I, I recommend is a box call. Yeah. Just from a beginner standpoint, being able to pick up a box call, like my five-year-old kid could pick that, the call up and make a sound that would call a turkey in. So yeah. I think from a beginner standpoint, definitely a box call, just being able, you can either you can get really loud on it or you can tone it down and be real soft on it. Another thing is a slate call, but the one drawback to both of these calls is if you're not in a blind and you're calling and all of a sudden that bird's in eyesight view, right? Mm -hmm. You can't, you're at a point where their eyesight's so well that you may not be able to get away with any movement. And there's, there's been hunts where you kind of need like a closing call just to like give them a little bit of reassurance. But, if you have one of those types of calls, you're not able to to make a call at that point, right? Yeah. Versus having a diaphragm in your mouth where you're able to give them a soft yelp or maybe give them a purr just to to ease them in where they may get hung up if you don't if you don't make a call. And and one thing to say here too, which is kind of obvious, but this is like the idea that turkey hunting with a with another person, it's a great duo sport. You know, tandem. Yeah. You have a caller and a shooter. I mean, that's, that's obvious can work really well. And you can do some things with put a little distance between the caller and you to try to bolt, pull the bird in closer. And we, you know, we don't have time to get into all that stuff today, but if you were by yourself to think that you're going to use a hands-on call and make the move to get the shotgun, it's going to be more challenging. Right. No, you bring up a good point about having like two people in the woods where you, if you have somebody dropping back, like that's a great tactic. If you have a, like, if you've been working a bird multiple mornings 
and it's hanging up right right outside of gun range, right? Maybe that third morning after he's done that to you the last couple mornings, like you have somebody drop back 50, 60 yards and you set up in front of them. Like that's a great way to pull that bird closer without, you know, without busting them. Yeah. One example I can think of with that, and this just kind of goes to, again, from seeing turkeys do what turkeys do. And I think this has, you know, probably has a lot to do with these birds. This was late season in an area that gets a lot of turkey hunting, but it was like surprising to me that we had these birds, we were up on a knob, they were down below us and we were calling to them and they were pretty close. We could hear them. They knew we were up there, but they weren't coming in. And so my buddy that I was with, Mike, he decided to walk back and call as he was walking away basically to do the same thing. Well, yeah. sure enough, that got the turkeys moving. Yeah. But instead of coming right up the hill, right on top of me, the gunner, the next time I saw and heard them, they were like skirting around me. Like they had me, the gunner pegged, you know, like they knew right where yeah. that was and they were skirting around me. And whether that's just like they were using the terrain or the coincidence, you know, I have a tendency to think it probably wasn't a coincidence. Like they probably have been, been fooled before, escaped a few close calls and you know, they're, they're savvy in that way. Right. I think it's amazing. I've heard the joke, like you could be in a hole calling and a bird would walk right to the hole. Like how, how easily they can pinpoint where that sound is coming from. And some of those little things you can do with a mouth call, if you are alone, right. As that bird's coming in, you can, you can, if a bird goes behind a tree or something like that, you can slowly turn your head and direct or throw that call Mm -hmm. a different direction where you could try and pull him to an area that you want them to be at or even just slightly calling when they're in range or waiting until they're behind a tree so that they they have to come looking right like instead of when they're right in eyesight of you calling when they can see you like waiting until they pause behind a tree give a little call throw it behind you or throw it to the side like little things like that go a long ways when you're when you're turkey hunting. yeah as best you can try to keep them guessing and yeah if if you can see the bird and he's looking your direction, right. you got to know that if you all of a sudden make a noise, he's going to... He's going to look right exactly yeah. where that noise is coming from. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. What's your favorite locator call? Uh, I grew up with my dad always using his, his voice as a, an owl call. Okay. Just sounding like a barred owl. So for me, that's always just been the go-to is just throwing out a big barred owl who cooks for you yes yeah who cooks who cooks for you all yeah yeah Yeah. watch a bunch of videos on i think that's that's definitely my favorite that's a fun one to do (laughs) i also like every once in a while i throw in a a little coyote call with my diaphragm okay i feel like the the owl call is very effective that's another one of those sort of eye-opening moment moments when you go out at whether it's dawn or dusk and you throw out that owl call and you get that shock gobble, you're just like, no way. You know, I mean, that just gets yeah. you so fired up. Yeah. It's also cool. Like, there's there's been a lot of hunts where you give out the owl call and all of a sudden you fire up an owl, right? Sure. Maybe oh, your, yeah. Yep. Your, your first locator call with you being an owl, they're trying to sound like an owl, doesn't sound off a bird. But all of a sudden you get a ton of owls or like a couple owls going off, calling back to you. And all of a sudden the woods are alive. And all of a sudden the bird fires off, right? Yeah, you kind of get this chain reaction going and, right. you know, an owl here and a turkey there, an owl there. Yeah, yeah, super cool. And we'll speed off the energy, right? All right, man. So you told me at the beginning of this, you're getting excited for turkey hunting. So I take it you have not been out yet. Our, our opener in Minnesota is April 15, right? So last week. Last Wednesday. Last yeah. Wednesday, yeah. So, and the way our season works up here now is that it's an over-the-counter tag. Anybody can can get one bird and you can pick one 
week in the early part of the year. You can hunt anywhere in the state, as far as I understand. I guess people can double check me on this, but I remember looking into this last year. And if you don't get a bird during your week, then you can hunt the last two weeks of the season, right? Yep. And that's a newer thing, which yeah. I think is great, right? You get more opportunity to get out there. And there was a there was a couple of years there where I started doing archery just because I wanted more opportunity where if you have an archery tag in Minnesota, you're open to the whole state. Yep. Aside from, I think, maybe some WMAs. Actually, they might be open too for that. But with archery tag, you're open to the whole state the whole season. It just gives you more flexibility. But with that last two week, like kind of a, if you don't get it during your season, you have that opportunity, I think just opens more opportunities and it's it's a good thing here in in minnesota yeah yes exactly and we, we had talked about the weather and and that's kind of the question that i wanted to get at was like with this idea that you can sort of choose your week what things are you thinking about i mean weather is one like you if you don't want yeah. if you don't you don't have to be out there in in awful weather why would you want to be able but how are you going to choose your season your your first week this year what are you thinking about so this year my my goal is to get my son my seven-year-old son his first bird and i'm actually i've been looking at the the forecast this week and tomorrow is supposed to be a nice clear sunny morning so i think i'm gonna kick it off tomorrow morning with my son Very here cool. in the in the in the metro we have some some friends that own some land out on the west side of town so i just submitted my pto to my boss and he accepted it so i'm gonna go in the morning awesome awesome well I'm, I'm i'm excited that i'm talking to you now on the on the eve of your first hunt of the year that's cool yeah so you'll hunt so but, you, go ahead yeah i was gonna say like you're talking about weather like one of the things that the one of the hardest things to do is call turkeys when it's windy out that's i think that's one yep. of the hardest factors is trying to hunt and win so picking a season or picking weather where the wind is not a factor especially rain rain i mean they're not as active they're not yep. excited to be out there yeah and so so weather is one thing and like we were talking about you know i still have still have snow up here and so that's a thing i know you guys don't have any of that down there but you got a week you got a week season so you know hopefully you've got some good windows within that week but outside of weather what are you thinking about as far as like turkey turkey behavior i've heard people talk about you know early season like obviously you want to get the birds when they're all fired up and gobbling, which doesn't happen to the same extent throughout the season. So is there yep. anything, are you, do you think about that as far as timing or do you just go when you can go and, and take, <laughs> it, take what mother nature gives you? It's tough at this point in my life. I have five kids. So yeah, it's like, yep. you're kind of a, at the mercy of your schedule at some point, but definitely early season, they tend to be flocked up. Um, but then you have the trade-off, right, that they, if you are hunting on public land, they haven't been pressured, so sure. they may be yep. more susceptible to calling and decoys if you're using decoys. So that's the one draw with people with early season, right? So I want to get after the birds before they've been pressured, so especially if I'm hunting on public land. But it's tough right now. Like I said, with five kids, you're you're kind of at the mercy of your schedule. So Yeah, so then it turns into a just go when you can, get, when you can go and enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Well, I hope you have, hope you have good luck tomorrow. Um, you are, are you doing a, a trip this year? Yeah, we're still trying to nail some of the specifics, but I think we're, me and Garrett, our, our friend, our mutual friend, we're heading out to, we're going to start in Wyoming um, in May and then see where we go from there. We were out there a couple of years ago and we both tagged out in Wyoming. So we, 
made the drive up to Montana and we we're both lucky enough to also get a bird in Montana. So yeah, I heard some good we'll stories. We'll see if the stars align again this year. <laughs> right on, man. Well, thank you for taking some time to come on and chat with me on the podcast. This was a blast. I am now more excited with any luck. I will be out next weekend. Uh, turkey, awesome. turkey hunting with Garrett and we'll keep our fingers crossed for some decent weather, but it is what it is. I'm sure we'll have fun regardless. But I uh, wish you the best of luck. You have to you have to let me know how things go tomorrow. And yeah, man, thanks. Now, if folks wanted to see some of your photos and stuff and follow you, where could they do that? Uh, it's on Instagram. It's kind of like my my online portfolio. I don't have a, a website yet, but it's levi.glines on Instagram. So right on. You're a hunter that that takes some awesome photos and shares some cool stuff. So well, I appreciate it. Hopefully, I get a call next weekend from the tailgating. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, buddy. Well, you have a great rest of your day. Thanks for taking the time to join me on the Bird Shop Podcast, and good luck tomorrow, buddy. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. See you. See ya. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. That does it for this episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt and Final Rise. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, and share, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.